there. Welcome to Streets and Eats. This is episode 98, and we're talking about bucket list picking German grapes. So much fun. Bucket list check for that one. Bucket list achieved. Welcome to Streets and Eats, the travel and food podcast dedicated to taking our listeners to the sights, sounds, and flavors of fascinating places near and far, both on and off the beaten path. We're Jim and Corinne Vale, and we've been traveling internationally and domestically together for decades, visiting more than 90 countries in all 50 states in the USA. We'll share all of the local knowledge and food expertise we've gathered through years of living as expats in Asia and Europe, as well as traveling with families spanning multiple generations around the world. Join us each week for a new adventure. We had the opportunity recently to get out in the fields and pick German grapes, something I know you've always wanted to do. Uh, you've had it on your bucket list for a while. Although I don't, we don't really have like a physical bucket list. Do you? I don't. I, I, I have many lists. No, you're the list queen. Uh, but I don't necessarily have one that's called bucket list. What I do is I'm a collector. And as I collect, I list things. And I don't collect physical things too much anymore. There's a few things you might notice as you watch our videos. But overall, I just collect memories and photos and things that I want to do. So that's what my lists entail. They're things I want to do. Are they things I must do? No. Are they things that I want to do necessarily? Well, of course, before I die. But I mean, that's what a bucket list is. But to me, a bucket list is you know, kind of like a check sheet. I've got to go down. I've got to hit this bucket list. For me, it's more like when I go to Argentina, I want to eat lots of meat because that's right. what you do. Lots of beef and go to a ranch and have go to a, a ranch. A big that's beef right. Barbecue. When I go to Antarctica, that's on my quote unquote list. But is it on my? I don't have anything titled bucket list. Yeah. What? Okay, that's a question we have for our audience. What do you think a bucket list is? Is it an outdated term? Right. Should we update the term? What should we do? What 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 is your list? How what's, do you determine where you want to go? Places I want to go, things I want to do. Well, that's what I call it, but that's kind of boring, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I guess maybe, I mean, we've done so much that the, the whole idea of a bucket list, the things you want to do before you kick the bucket. I mean, those biggies, we've done most of those biggies. So maybe for us, we don't really need a bucket list anymore, but now it's like, wait a minute, there's still so much out there, so there much is. to do. And every time we go anywhere and we meet anybody or any fellow traveler, we always learn something new. And and today's, you know, when we started traveling, you know, we've been married a long time and we've been traveling together a very, very long time. Um, and so we started prior A to the majority of the internet. So we basically had to use only books or word of mouth. And nowadays there's so much information out there that you can't possibly do it all. And some of the things that become popular aren't things that were popular, you know, say 20 years ago. Yeah, that's true. But on top of that, maybe they're almost too popular now. And I, I kind of want to avoid them because there's too many people. So it's, it's, it's always a, you know, a puzzle and enigma. Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? We're going to do a whole podcast on that. I think. Oh, that's a good idea. I think we should. Yeah. At any rate, we're not talking about bucket lists or podcasts right now. We're talking about German, <laughs> German wine. wine grapes and how to pick them. So I think you have the trivia question. this yeah, week. Yeah, I get the trivia question this week. And uh, since we're talking about picking German wine grapes, uh, we're going to talk about a specific German wine grape. Uh, of course, I think everybody knows the most popular German grape 
is the Riesling. Riesling. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, that's right. That's not the question, however. Well, no, because it was way too easy. I mean, it's easy for me because I've lived in Germany a heck of a lot of years. The Riesling grape has been around for a, a, a heck of a lot of years, too. Far more well, than you. Far more than me, I hope. <laughs> in fact, I think the first recorded planting of Riesling grapes in Germany, of course, is in 1400. And been going strong ever since. Uh, it's grown all over the world now. For a while, it kind of sank in popularity. Riesling and German wines in general lost their popularity uh, after World War One, World War Two. Uh, go figure. I think Germany was a little out of fashion then with perhaps yeah. some good reason. And it took most of the 20th century to start regaining that popularity. It's done a pretty good job now. It's becoming much more popular. Um, you probably remember Blue Nun. White wine, I, German I wine. I vaguely remember. I was never much of a wine drinker until a little, maybe later than most people. I, as a young person, I much preferred, and maybe still do to a certain degree, German beer. Yeah. But but saying that, I do love German wine too. So I don't. Well, I came to a little bit later in life. Is all I'm saying. And we had the luxury of living in Germany, near a major wine growing region, uh, in the eighties and into the early, early nineties. And so, I mean, getting German wine was not difficult for us. You could pick it up at any store or go for a little ride and stop at a vintner and, and have a tasting. But after we moved back to the States, finding good German wine, because by then we'd developed the taste for it. That's true. Was a little more challenging. And Blue Nun was one of the ones true. that we would pick because it was the closest we could get, though way too sweet. That's true. You're right. And I think that's why it kind of started losing it. It's popularity, although for a while it was the number one selling wine in the world, surprisingly. That's pretty cool. Is there a trivia question? There's a trivia question. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, because it is such a popular, uh, since Riesling is such a popular wine, uh, the the grapes are grown around the world, of course, in most major wine growing countries. Uh, But there's one that is not grown in, and you can probably imagine it would be Spain because of all the like the sun and the heat and the aridness. It's just not a great wine growing region. Yeah. If you know anything about Germany where Riesling is the most popular, it is a wet green climate and it's, it's a beautiful climate. I love this climate. We used to say when we lived at Bitburg, um, if you don't do it in the rain, you don't do it. it So forget it altogether. But um, so basically you can do anything in the rain because it rains a lot in Germany, but it makes it so green and pretty that it's well worth it in my experience. And I've been to Spain many, many times. And guess what? Green is not a word that I associate with Spain. So I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And when you think about other places it's grown around the world, it's uh, really big in Washington state which is very similar to Germany, Ontario, Canada, New York, all very similar. But Spain, it just wouldn't work. Um, So Spain does not grow any Riesling grapes. South Africa does, France does, of course, the United States, Australia, all those major, major wine growing countries. This is a big lead into your trivia question. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to go with that question, but I was like, no, she'll get that. It's too easy. So, and maybe this one's even easier for you. I don't know, because you're pretty well versed on German white wines, but here you go. We'll give it a try. So if you look at a bottle of German Riesling, you're going to see words on it that kind of indicate its level of sweetness, right? 
It's level of sweetness. Okay. Yeah, or the level of sugar. It maybe it maybe doesn't actually indicate how sweet it's going to taste. Uh, instead, it's more taken from the amount of sugar in the grape. Okay. When it was pressed. Okay. I have okay, an so, inkling where this is going. So there are too many. There are six levels. specific terms, levels of sweetness, if you will, for lack of a better term. Can you think, can you name them all? I and can, can name, you put them in the right order? I can name four. I'm going to oh, let me try. Okay. And, and put them in the right order as you're I'm doing. I'm going to try. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Spätlese. Okay. That's definitely one of them. It's not the first one, but it's not the first. So it's not the first one. Okay, well, I don't know. Spätlese, Auslese, Baron Auslese, Eiswein. Those are all the ones I know. So that's four. Um, I think you could probably stick in mm, maybe a hot. I don't know. No, I, I Qualitätsvine. I don't know. No, no, you did quite well actually. I, but you I, forgot cabinet. Cabinet. I actually was thinking cabinet, and then I thought, eh, should I say that? You know how it goes with those test questions. Uh, and cabinet goes. Before spate laser. Okay. That, actually, that's what I was going to do. Do should be cabinet, but I didn't go there. Okay. Actually, you did pretty good. Um, you missed cabinet, but cabinet, spate laser, owls laser, baron owls laser, and white and ice vine. Uh, and then after that is trochen baron owls laser. Okay. And that's funny because I was going to say something about trochen. And I'm like, yeah, but that trochen means dry. So then we're getting into the dries, but I get it. Okay. So I feel like I did okay with that, you did that really question. Um, because that- here's why I love sweet wines and I started out loving sweet wines. So I drank a lot of spate laser, not as much owls laser because it is that much sweeter, but I'll tell you what, an ice wine. There is nothing better than an after dinner, yeah. especially in the in the winter. I don't know why the winter makes a difference, but it does to me. Um, and it's so sweet. And it's so desserty. It just goes down so well. It's served it's, nice and chill. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Um, we don't drink it that much, though. I mean, I've, I've drank mostly Spätlese, I would say. And then nowadays I'm moving into the Hauptrokens and a little bit drier. Hmm. Interesting question. Good question. All right. So now we're going to jump right into the main portion of our episode, um, which we did not um, we did not record at the same time. So there might be a little overlap and we're going to say sorry for that. But we're, like I said, we're trying something we're new. We're trying something new. Guten Tag. Today we're talking about Germany and things that we have done to meet our bucket list expectations. Right. Everybody's got a bucket list, of course. I mean, it might be climbing to Machu Picchu on the Sunrise Trail or whatever it is. Or, in my case, in this particular case, my bucket list has always been picking the grapes and then sort of learning the process of doing the grapes as I'm doing it. Yeah. I mean, we have been on wine tasting tour after wine tasting tour after wine tasting tour. You know, and they take you through the grape fields and they tell you about the different grapes that are in the wines and they, you know, they tell you everything about the wines that they grow and how they process them, maybe how long they're bottled and how long it takes to ferment and all that kind of stuff. But basically you're just walking through fields. Right. And then you're drinking. And they like drinking, 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 which by the way, is fun. But. Well, and they might take you into the cellars and show you the process of the grapes like in the, or the juice in these big vats. 
And they might give you a taste of that. And they might give you a taste of that. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, I could do that. And have done talking, it many times. Like, the ideal would be Lucille Ball stomping yeah. the grapes stomping with your bare the feet. Grapes. My little peasant dress. <laughs> but I think in this day and age, that's not really going to happen. Well, I think... And in, in all fairness, I don't really I'm, want to drink any grapes drinking. after someone's bare feet better than me either. <laughs> have you seen my toes? Right. No, thanks. But, but in saying that, I did want to pick grapes. Yes. I've always wanted to pick grapes. Well, we used to... We've been living in Germany for a long time. And we've been living around vineyards... Pretty much, well, anywhere in Germany, you're probably going to be living around vineyards. Oh, yeah. Well, and I guess that's something that, unless you're really into white wines and Rieslings and that kind of thing, you may not know that Germany has a really strong, huge wine-growing right. region. They have the Rhine, the Mosul. They have the Franconian wines. They have tons of them. But they're really mostly white, white wines. wines. There are a few. In fact, this vineyard that we went to is also known for their red wines. That's true. But but we'll get to that. I think Germany's more interested in white wines. But we would drive around, and there's, I mean, there's stunning little road trips that you can take up and down the rivers, through the vineyards, past castles, ships on the river, barges. You can take river cruises. You can do the wine. You're going to see vineyards and people depending on what time of year it is working in the vineyards yeah you're going to be able to do wine wine any way you want to do it but but it is a little bit harder to find someone to go pick in the grapes but anyway that was on my bucket list yeah and so here we are we're moving to germany once again and we're staying with my sister and my brother-in-law ernestine and chris and chris starts saying hey you know he's talking to not me and he says he's going on this wine tour. I'm like, he's talking to my, someone on the my, phone. My little ears perk up. I'm like, what was that? Wine tour. Wine tour. What kind of wine tour? He goes, oh, we're gonna go pick grapes, and then we're gonna go press the grapes, and then we end up with a bottle of wine. Blah blah blah. I was like, can I come? I mean, I'm not shy. I want something I really want to do. That was on my list. He says, no, the trip is full. Sorry, I was a little bit downtrodden yeah. but you know that's that's life that's mm-hmm. the way it goes so we told him you know well if it happens again please well, keep us on the list and and he remembered so they ended up having as often happens a couple people canceling and he's like we got two slots do you want to go at uh, yes so we go out to this little place on the right and luckily chris drove because that's critical near the yeah end you need a driver <laughs> uh, i mean ideally Everybody would take a bus or a train. And a lot of times, and we could have. We could have taken the train. And a lot of times when you take that kind of tour, that's what you're going to do. They'll pick you up. So that's a good way to do it. Uh, but we were out on the Rhine River and uh, in this little town, Ingolstadt. Ingelheim. And then this little town, Ingelheim, which I didn't know until we got there, is also, as you mentioned, one of the red wine regions of Germany. And I mean, I was kind of blown away because I've never thought of red wine in Germany, except for maybe like, you know, glue vine and that sort of thing. Which we do love our glue vine and Feuer Sangenbollas, that's for sure. And I've had a couple of red wines in Germany, um, but really it's more about the, the white wine. So that was a little bit shocking, um, but it is. And they're marketing it and they're, they're very proud of their red, red wines. 
And, and I think they're doing it, well, yeah. I would say we're pretty darn good. Uh, but on this trip, we were, of course, picking Rieslings. I well, think, we were actually scheduled, I think, to pick red wine like because Pinot it is known because it is known for red wine. But um, they had already gone past. Like we were doing this in mid September, mm, and right. um, they had already picked most of the red wine grapes because so, there was a lot of early rain. frost. Yeah, and rain. Yeah, you know, weather is everything when you're a farmer or vintner. So off we go. We get to Ingelheim and. We tromp into the Singer Fisher family winery. And it is. I mean, it's a little family winery. And it is operated by dad. Klaus. He's the owner. Uh, Who is ready. He was about our age. Yeah, maybe oh, yeah. a few years older you than us. You can tell he's kind of like, but he's like getting the next generation ready. Yeah, I'm kind of on my way out. I'm ready to hand it over to the kids. And really... He was there the whole day, and he his was. wife actually fed us lunch in the vineyard, so she was also there. But um, it was mainly run by Lena and the younger Jan, generation, which were his kids, pretty so. much in full in full swing operating the winery. I think, and yeah, I really got that sense too that he's not retired, but he has definitely stepped back, and they've taken the reins, and he should. And, and coming yeah. from someone like us, hey, we're all for we're it. Ready for that Early time. retirement. Go for it. Yeah. And so, well, the farm has been there for a while. It's, I think, he inherited from his parents, uh, but it wasn't really a big winery at the time. They didn't really do a lot of wine. They did just like small batches for themselves type thing. A lot of apples and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, but when he took it over, he's like, no, wine is it. And well, not just wine, but sparkling wine. He was sparkling all wine. about sparkling wine. Oh, I don't remember that, but you're probably right. right. I just remember the red wines, and I mean, I'm, I I love white German wine anyway, so I was yeah. all about the Rieslings. Yeah. Well, we got to talking about it. He said, I just love the sparkling wine. It's it's what I really love to make. It's what I love to drink. Well, and right across the border in Alsace is Cremont, Cremont. the sparkling wine region of France. And so it kind of makes sense because they have a very similar, right. in fact, the Mosul goes right through both of them. And same they have breaks, a very serious, exactly. So yeah. it, it kind of makes sense to me what he was doing. Yeah. So, so, but he said, but you know, there's not that big of a market for it. So we had to, because we can't we are, just do sparkling wine, even though that's my passion. Because we are Deutsch. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we get to the, we get to the little thing, the little main area where they live where they have some of their equipment where they have a shop and they get us all together and they kind of tell us how the day is going to go and they basically just immediately loaded us up into a couple of tractor trailers that they have specifically for leading wine tours because that's what Lena does as part of her everyday job is she leads all different kinds of wine tours so this is something that anybody who comes to Germany could probably set up if you're willing to, if, if it's a small group, I think you're going to end up paying a little bit more, quite a bit for it. But if you have a large group, like we had organized a large group, but we didn't organize it. Whoever organized it, we were included. Well, we glommed on. We glommed on to it. <laughs> um, we end up getting to do it for 50 euros is all we end up mm-hmm. paying. And that actually comes with a bottle of wine right. at the end as it is. Plus we had lunch. Um, so it was, and it's an all day tour. So it was well worth it. I thought 50 euros was And wine great. tasting, of course. And wine tasting, yeah. I thought it was a great price, but it was 
something someone had set up purposely to do everything that we did. And I think that if you live here, that is something to keep in mind because if you have relatives coming or if you're just in a club, like that this right. was a club. Group of um, friends. Or, or a group of friends or the people you work with or what have you. It's such a good way to get out and do some things that you wouldn't normally get to do. So it's, I guess my point is, I guess my point is, if you think of something you want to do and you have enough people for a group, in this case, we have 30 people. So 30 times 50, they're making a pretty good. They're happy to do it. They were very happy to do it. Um, and, and so it makes it worth their while. Plus, of course, we bought tons of wine while we were there. We bought a case. Chris bought a couple of cases. And that's just us. That, there was 28 other people that bought plenty of wine as well. So the, we made it worth their while. And I think that that's really a key thing to keep in mind. But I've set up private tours all the time. Yeah. And, and I think that don't let that, especially if you live somewhere, don't let that dissuade you. It's not that difficult. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And the other thing is you can look on the website of Singer Fisher and they and do they throughout the year have events, not necessarily always great picking, but out into the fields and lunch in the fields. They do that pretty regularly. And they're the not year. the only ones. And they're not the only Yeah, there are plenty that do that kind of On the Red River, for sure. Yeah, but I think the picking of the grapes was the... That's a challenge. ...was the hardest thing to... I've never seen it before. No. We've lived in Germany a total altogether of, what, 16 years or something? Yeah. A lot of years. A lot of years. And we never had the chance to go picking before. Of course, I didn't make the chance, like I'm telling you to do. But, um... Yeah. That is the harder part was the actual picking of the grapes. Yeah, and we have heard of other instances where groups were able to go in and help harvest grapes, but it was always very, like they knew someone who knew somebody. Yeah. So I think that it's probably something that might be on the rise because that experiential tourism is really really gaining momentum. So I think you'll see more and more of that available. And I have to say, for someone who has been literally touring the world my entire life, um, the things I remember most are when I'm in there doing something, when I'm part of the experience as opposed to just watching it. It's like the difference between going to a theater and watching a movie or being on set and being in a play. I mean, which one are you going to remember better? You're going to remember the lines of the one that you were in. You're going to remember, you know the funny things that happen so much easier, especially since you've right. six times. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So I would go to the fields and we get out there and we unload from the tractors. We're all standing around in our, well, most of us were sensibly wearing uh, boots. I think all of us were. Or it, and long pants and long sleeve shirts. I don't know if everybody was. Anyway. Most of us were. And right away, Lena gets us all together in a group and... She gives us the little spiel about what we're looking for, what we'll be doing. So we had a really and how to cut the grapes. And how to cut the grapes. So we had a really good idea of what to expect and what we'd be doing. When she said, so there's 30 of us. And when she said we were gonna do four rows, I'm like, piece of cake, we're gonna get through this right. in no time. And then it you look us, down the row. And yeah, the rows are long, very long. Very long rows. <laughs> and uh, it actually took us to do four rows, I think. Right around maybe, what, 50 minutes, an hour? Somewhere right around an hour. Um, And that was probably enough for me. By the end of it, you know, you're bending over, you're standing up. I mean, it wasn't hard work, but, you know, you start to feel it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 
Anyway, so yeah, we she showed us how to pick the grapes, and basically, you know, she, they handed us our gloves, they handed us our little clippers, and they sent us along our way. They did pass out the buckets, and that was one of the fun things. And I don't know if we had that um, on tape anywhere, but one of the fun things was about every I don't know fifteen minutes, ten minutes, whatever it was, they would yell buckets, and, and so would you would take your bucket and you would hand it to someone, and they would hand it to someone, they would dump it in the big bin, and then you'd get an empty bucket and you'd fill that one up again. And it was just kind of fun because it was kind of like. You know, knowing that, oh, I filled up a bucket. That's my third bucket. Oh, right. that's my fourth bucket. It kind of gave you this feeling of accomplishment. And we were kind of counting our buckets at first, but oh, that quickly dropped by the wayside because after the fourth or fifth bucket and you're not even halfway down the row, you know that there's no point in counting buckets. You're going to be getting a lot of them. Yeah. Anyway, it was fun. That and was plus awesome. they didn't always fill up before you, you dumped them. That's when I stopped counting mine. I'm like, but I just have this much in there. But you might as well dump it because you don't know when they're going to dump it again. Yeah. And I thought picking the grapes would be a lot harder. Like we'd be like grabbing them and pulling them off the vine and stuff. But we had little shears and you just grab it and snip it. And they told us, you know, don't worry about anything, really. If you have to cut some stuff away to, to get to the grapes, cut the stuff away pull it off, whatever. Just when you get the grapes, make sure you're keeping the grapes clean and don't put any of the leaves or any of that stuff in the bucket with yeah. the grapes. I think the most hazardous thing is you might have, I was starting to get a little bit of a blister from using the shears, um, but you had gloves. So if you were doing what you were supposed to do, it wouldn't have been a problem. But I think, I really think the most hazardous thing and what got a couple of people were, um, we're out in nature so what hangs around, you know, grapevines? Well, let me tell you, spiders do. And right. spiders don't bother me. And especially in Germany, there's not, I don't think there's any poisonous ones. If they are, they're, they're, they're not something to worry about. But there was a few people that are like, ah, it's spiders. a spider with me. I'm yeah, like, it's eh, true. Let's brush it off. Let's so we did that for about an hour. I don't know how many, did we get a final count on the, the big bins? That we filled up? I don't think... I think we had like six. six That's how many they offloaded at the end. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was quite a bit. I mean, I don't know, but you stand in one spot for about 10 or 15 minutes and and the vines are pretty full of grapes. So, you know, you're going from top to bottom or bottom to top or over to the side, um, whatever. Anyway, you were were picking quite a few grapes. We got quite a few. Got a good experience from it. And by the time we got to the end of the row... We were definitely ready for lunch. Yeah, we were. Which, I gotta say, well, you know me. I mean, I love food. Mm, Me too. I love being outside. Me too. And, uh, yeah, I love wine. So, lunch was probably the highlight of my day. And And I wouldn't say it was the most gourmet of lunches. No, but it was... It it was hearty. hearty. And it was very welcome because by that time, you worked up a pretty good appetite and a pretty good thirst. So, we didn't really know what to expect. But they got everybody, once everybody got to the end of their row, they brought the tractors around to that side, and we all loaded back up in the tractors, and we went up just a little bit, a little bit further walked. into the vineyards. I, we could have walked, for sure. It wasn't that far. And we come around a corner, and here's this long German spread. fest table, all spread out in between two rows of uh, vines, and it's all laid out. It's got the wine on it, it's got the glasses, and uh, three... Women about our age, maybe a little bit younger, set up with ladles and hot pots 
and everything. They're ready to go. So Andrea actually does this a couple of times a year. And she told us why the whole tradition started. And that was, you know, the harvesting season is very short and they needed to maximize the time in the fields as possible. So they would bring the lunch to the workers because they didn't want them to basically take a long break. Go off for a big break, yeah. take a nap. And even to this day, even though much more is automated and they don't have as many workers and um, they have a lot more flexibility as far as timing goes, what they found out was, you know, still people expect to be fed. It's kind of part of their oh, yeah. their job. So maybe they'll feed them at the, at the house or maybe they'll feed them in the vineyards or they have tours for it too. So we had this really rich goulash, like Hungarian style goulash, yeah. paprika, onion, flavorful, big chunks of really delicious tender pork. And we put that on with some salted boiled potatoes and I mean, it doesn't sound like the best meal in the world, and, and, and but it hit the spot. I it, mean, it definitely hit whoa. the spot. And it came with a green salad. And then we also had dessert, which was something I had never heard of before. Um, oh, yeah. We did end up getting the recipe. So watch out for that. But anyway, um, it was a red wine cake and it was typically German. It wasn't too sweet. It mm-hmm. wasn't too mushy or spongy right, right. like American cakes are. It's more like a better crumb or whatever. Um, and really good. I mean, you, we didn't have coffee with it. We were too busy drinking our wine, but <laughs> it, it was good gone with really the wine. Good with coffee but too. it would have gone great with coffee. That's as well. true. And it didn't have any frosting or any filling okay. or anything. Yeah. And again, it was just delicious. And so here we are sitting at these long tables, beautiful skies. We're around, we're surrounded by grapes. And just what a great time. Good lunch. It was a delicious lunch. And we had a really good time because, of course, you're with people that we didn't know them so well. But most people knew each other and we had good conversation, which is a very German thing. So if you go to a German festival um, and if you've ever been to a German festival, you know that the tables fill up rather quickly. And they're all long fest tables all in a row. Which means that... If you're just doing me going someplace, there's we're only going to take up a little space of the table, so there's plenty left to share with someone else, and it's a very German thing to do is share yes. the table. And I would say at least seventy five percent of the time, you strike up a conversation and you have a good time, and you end up making new friends. You can at least have a good time while you're there, and maybe even well, sometime in the in the future. Exactly. You never know. So we finished lunch. I suppose if we really wanted to, we could have gone and picked more grapes. There's plenty to pick. We, we, we checked that off. But that was that part of the tour was done. We loaded back in the tractors, back down to the winery in town, and we all unloaded. And they were setting up for the wine tasting. And so we got a little bit of talk about the different grapes they have and the wine. And then uh, while we're doing that, of course, the tractors were going back to the field to get our grapes and bring them back down. And... Once the grapes arrived, then really it was like part two of the tour. And that was making the wine. Well, part three. Or part, lunch. Yeah, or part Whatever. four, <laughs> part five. By this point, we'd had some wine and... We couldn't count. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah. they backed up the grapes. Um, when Jan backed them up, he dumped them one by one, each of the bins, into the press. And then he told us about the press and how the press works and about how long it stays in there and... Um, the really cool part about that was you could see the grapes coming out in, in the juice. And it, the was, it, it produced so much juice. I couldn't believe how much juice was in there. Right away. Yeah. 
And it was going to keep going for another four or five hours or something like that. So we, he showed us how to just dip our glass right in that soft, that juice and taste it. And it was first drippings. Delicious. Mm, first it was drippings. just juice. There's nothing alcoholic yeah, about at it. At that point, it's just pure right. grape juice. It was yummy. And it was pretty good at that point. So you know it was going to make some pretty good wine. After that, we hosed everything down because it oh, was yeah, to be Oh, yeah, we clean. did the whole process. I mean, this, this wasn't like you're going to pick a couple of grapes and then you go eat lunch and drink some wine. And then you're going to come back and you'll see a little bit about the process. And then you'll taste some more wine. No, I mean, they, they dumped the grapes out of the big plastic bins. They held them out upside down. We had to spray them out. And get them clean. And if they weren't clean enough, they made you get do back it. in there and do it some more. So <laughs> anyway, we were, that was fun. It we was still fun. Working. Anyway. Um, and then we got to do the real wine tasting where they brought out the different bottles of wine and they told us what it was and how long they stay in storage and ferment right, and right. whatever. Um, and then we just tasted the ones we liked and we bought a lot of good wine. Got the opportunity to buy. And we left, and I think we got there. I think we got there about nine o'clock in the morning. I was thinking nine o'clock too. We left about three thirty, right? And that included, like I said, we were at lunch a good hour at least. So it was it was a nice full day. It was a lot of fun, and like I said, for fifty euros, I thought it was well well worth it. Uh, well worth it. Like yeah. we would have spent, you know, half that anyway on lunch if we'd gone anywhere oh, yeah. else. Lunch so, and the wine we bought for sure. Yeah. So the wine we tasted. And when we say tasting, this was more like you could taste it, sure. You could have And you could spit you it out though. if you wanted to. But really it was this is all of our wines. Try them, drink them, decide which one you like the best. If you want to buy some, buy some. If you don't, that's okay too. There was no pressure to buy. No, we just no liked pressure. the wine and it was a good price. Exactly. It was a lot of fun. And I I was so happy to really be able to check that off my bucket list. Would you do it again? I would do it again. Yeah, 100%. I would do it again too. Um, the picking of the grapes, an hour was about enough for me. Mm -hmm. I, I was getting tired from that repetitive movement. And I definitely wouldn't want to do it as a job. Right. Um, but it was just a fun day. Yeah, I, I could do it I every year. Do it again. <laughs> anyway, it was a lot of fun. All right, so that was the conclusion of our first episode where we've added video to our podcast, and I think we're going to try this. Jim and I had a little, I don't know what you want to call it, business discussion, argument, I don't know, however you want to say it, um, that we're stagnating and we want to try something new and we want to kind of kick up our podcast a notch and everybody's doing video and we may not be the most attractive people on uh, earth, yeah. but we don't care. We're going to do it, too, because that's just the kind of people that we are. We're willing to jump in feet first and try new things. So we're adding video to our podcast. Yeah, we had a lot of fun doing it, and it's definitely something we're going to keep doing. And we'll see how it goes. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, sorry. If you got any constructive criticism, feel free to share that. If you absolutely hate it, then just go back to listening to the podcast. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. They're still available. We'll still have the podcast available on all um, all the channels where you would normally find it. And we'll have the videos available if you are interested in checking that out on our YouTube channel uh, at Reflections in Route. And we'll also put links to it on our blog, Reflections in Route or Roving Veils. Anyway, hope you enjoyed it. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Streets and Eats. If you liked what you heard, please show us some love. Hit the like button and leave us a review. Maybe even subscribe so you don't miss any future podcasts. 
Also, we'd love it if you joined us on our Facebook private group, Streets Needs, where we just have an ongoing conversation about all things travel. Ciao for now. <laughs>